And we're live. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 51 of Fans of Power. I am Joe Amato, and I'm here with my partner in crime, Tyler Baker. How's it going, T-Rex? I'm on top of the world, JoJo. On top of the world. All right. Well, um, just uh, in case fans were knowing, were, are wondering where Brian's at, um, there's going to be a spinoff show called Masters of the Galaxy. So you'll be able to hear him and me and Michael Jenkins on that show on Monday. So in case everybody wonders what's going on, just, uh, I guess, a double duty, two shows. So I guess more Masters for everyone. So that's to get that out so everybody knows what's happening. And, um, well, any bits of news, Tyler? Have you been seeing anything different online, anything with figures, any, like, uh, things pertaining to something Masters pop-related? If not, I, you know, of course, I've seen some stuff, but what about I, you? I say I, uh, the only thing I can think of that I, that I have seen since our, our last discussion, and I don't know how much news-related it is, but is the, the Mondo uh, figures that I guess, and I, I don't even know where these were. I just it pops up my feed. All I know is that these these Mondo figures that they're doing of He-Man, Skeletor, and Faker. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I think the biggest thing for me, aside from they look great, is they come with little uh, accessories of uh, Furby and uh, um. Oh, good grief. Relay. 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 Good grief, man. Like, <laughs> You're like. Better not fail messing that up. It's like not not that one, but it's like. But I remember you know the Busby Furby, you know from Double Edged Sword, and I'm drawing a blank on one of the more you know the more well known little uh, critters of, of the Master of the Universe lore. Well, here I got to even ask you something because what you just said is it Furby or Burby? I couldn't remember. Is it Burby or Furby? I because I, I saw they had written it down as Burby, but whenever yeah, I mean, every time I watch the cartoon, Chad says, you know, I never thought anything could happen to Furby. Okay, so, you know what's weird is like because there's a box in the audio where you know, and it could be just someone where the guy thought it was Burby and and wrote Burby essentially. I, I, okay, because you know what's weird is you saying that I um, well, I didn't even know that anybody put it down anywhere as Burby like you just said. I didn't know that was written anywhere as Burby. I just thought I remembered Burby, and I thought when you said Furby, you might have been I don't know mixing it up with those goofy things that talked in the whatever. Well, the see, 90s. when I when I when I watched that show. And then saw those, you know, goofy looking toys that came out back in the 90s. And I think they came back out in the 2000s at some point. Um, I remember thinking, like, that's, that's the name of the uh, the little Busby from Dollar Sword. <laughs> well, we'll have to do a double check. And for everybody out there, I think that Burby was that um, creature I thought that ate something that made him sick or something. He ate, he ate uh, a lump of Eternium that got him sick to keep Trapjaw from getting it. So he decided to eat it. Well, not intentionally. It was like an accident. Like he put it in his little his little trunk and it, it just kind of went down before he could stop it. And poor little guy got sick. Definitely one of the, the more sad and touching moments of, of the series. Yeah. I remember, and I do remember that. So th th the thing is with those cool accessories, like you said, we've seen Burby, we've seen relay. If I'm not mistaken, did he man also have, I think his pistol from the 87 movie. I didn't look at him that much detail. I was just kind of glancing at everything. I mean, I saw the little accessories and looking at Faker and stuff like that. I'll I'll have to double check on that one because I, I certainly um, didn't see it. I mean, when I see things that I know I can't afford, I really don't look at them in that much detail. <laughs> well, you just and you just said it. Now that's the thing for anybody that's ha you know has the money to buy them, go ahead. I don't know if it's been definite on the price, but Mondo has done these type of you know I don't know if it's one six scale, however they describe them. It's usually figures that are like you know eleven to twelve inches tall, and I mean they're super detailed. They've done other things. I think they've done Ninja Turtles and stuff. But yep. if I'm not mistaken, they usually come with a lot of extra accessories. They're bigger. They're 
amazingly sculpted, lots of articulation and extras, but I think they're usually $150. So, I mean, I know some people are like, oh man, that's real expensive. But I mean, if you got the money, get them because those things are just, I mean, they're breathtaking. What I like is the the sculptors, artists, whoever were behind them, they gave their own kind of unique interpretation of each, you know, each of them, Skeletor and He-Man and, you know, Faker. I mean, well, I guess it's just basically He-Man with the Skeletor arm. It, it, looked, a little, it looked a little different though. I, I, I will say I looked to see if it was like a spitting image of the, of the He-Man head sculpt and it, it looked a little different. Like they, oh, did they? I mean, I, you know, like I said, I don't have it completely memorized. So people who are listening to this and they're pulling their hair out and, and uh, <laughs> you know, screaming at the monitor or, or iPod or whatever it is they're listening to, it looked different when I took a second look at it just to see if they really did repaint like that head or it. I'll have to go back and look at it. And but uh, it was all three were very impressive though, to say the least. Oh no, they are. Which. The other thing I was I was curious about is, I mean, obviously we've seen you know Burby, we've seen Relay, we've seen a movie pistol. Now I know the pistols that's something they can get away with without having movie rights. But I mean, are we to take it that Mondo slightly has filmation rights? I mean, I I, I kind of don't get how things work. I mean, do you think they have filmation rights then, since they're doing that and with these figures? I mean, I just get clueless sometimes of what's going on of who has rights to anything anymore. I don't know. I feel like we're we're being so left out of the loop on actually like who has rights to do what. Why isn't this been released? Why aren't we getting that? What? Why are we getting this instead of that? It's it's kind of one of those things where you, you kind of feel like you know we're and then again too. I'm I'm not in the loop. I don't know who is, and it just kind of seems like when this stuff pops up, it's like, well, where did this come from? You know, right. I, I was like, don't recall hearing that this company had the license to do this, and you just kind of show up at a, your random comic book store or. Or a hot topic, and you see He-Man items for some. Like, well, I, I wasn't aware of this, and they just kind of show up out of the blue. So it's, it's true, true. Yeah, because I guess the the other reason that um, I mean, like you said, not knowing what's the rights, what's going on. Because I don't know if it was the last episode we did or the one before when we mentioned about Super Seven. They don't have the rights to you know Shira right now. They're trying to acquire them. They should probably get them, but it was stated that, oh, they should still be able to do some of the vintage figures and things like the, you know, some of the variants of She-Ra or Catch or whatever. But but then I thought I recently then just seen almost days after that, they said, no, apparently they might not have the rights to do anything. So they won't even be able to do those variants. So, but but I'm sure, like I said, Super 7's working hard. They'll be able to get it. I'm sh- no doubt they'll be able to get the rights to do all the pop stuff. It's going to be a while for all of us. I mean, we haven't heard any any more updates other than the Horsemen sent some some prototypes out. We don't even know who they are, or anything like that. And if if we're not even getting information about that, you know, we're Masters fans, Thundercat fans, we're all in the same boat. We're all just kind of floating around in in the sea of Rakash or whatever you want to call it. There, just kind of waiting to get answers. And you know, hopefully there'll be a a, a messenger pigeon that's going to come by and drop a bottle into the raft with all us fans to let us know you know oh hey we've got this help is on the way you have more <laughs> more classics more sheer more thundercats because yeah, it seems like we're always waiting for stuff but yeah so that's all that and of course um sideshow um collectibles they have that amazing premium format i think it's 23 inch he-man statue uh jesus and, re- I mean, and requires your firstborn child you know for pre-order uh, yeah, I mean, they, they do payments. You know, I think they accept payments. I don't know if they've taken in all the pre-orders, but I know it's going to be 399 for that bad boy. But uh, 
I mean, it, it looks fantastic. Again, I think they had an exclusive to where um, their exclusive version came with uh, maybe a battle axe that might have been a real metal battle axe, maybe, and then a, a sheath for the sword, possibly. But that's those those couple things. I mean, I, I know I don't have the money. I don't know if you do, but if you have it, you can always get that. Uh, it's just a nausea, knowing there's so many great things. I, I, I don't know how collectors do it. I mean, unless they're banking on anybody that collects toys you know, works, you know, at a really high paying, you know, stock market job or, you know, owns, I, I don't know. I have no idea how, how, I mean, it's, it's just, I don't, I mean, obviously there's tons of people out there who've got large collections of, of, of statues from hot toys and various other things. And it just, I, I guess it's just, you know, especially with people who've got families and things like that. I'm like, how do they expect people to be able to shell out $400 you know, not just for He-Man stuff, but for other statues and, you know, you know, kind of cars. I mean, I know, like, I think I'm always the, uh, the 89 Batmobile. I'm like, it looks amazing. How could you afford it? <laughs> I guess, that, well, that's the good thing, at least with Sideshow. I mean, uh, I know they do payment plans. So, yeah, you can, you know, give a little bit of blood every month or something or whatever, and you can just pay bit by bit. I, I don't know how their payment it's plan works. It's just thickening to know that it's, it's like, you know um, – I'm trying to come up with like some sort of like fantasy in my head, like in the dog, the dog cartoons where like, it could have been yours kid. It could have been yours. And, like, you got no yeah. money in your pockets except like a moth flies out. And, that's me. You know. Yeah. Well, that's how I feel a lot of times too. And you get that, that, that bill from any collector. All right. We, we need about $90 here for the two figures that you purchased a year. <laughs> like, Dear God, man. Yeah, you definitely forget about them. But uh, well, that's through all those things. But um, I was going to say, before we start and we get into the show, I got a pretty cool message. Um, it was from Dan Rice. He's a listener. He's, I, you know, I brought it up uh, in the last episode about when we were given our recommendations of our top three characters, mini comics, and filmation episodes. Well, I remember giving a shout out to him and his son, Philip, and saying, you know, like, if you get a chance you know, watch to save Skeletor because I wanted him to see about Shigor and see if it was as frightening as I thought to maybe his son, Philip. Well, he did end up watching with Philip and his other two uh, kids. And Philip did find uh, Shigor frightening, which, you know, I think that's, you know, pretty cool. I mean, not to sound demented, like, I'm glad I scared that kid, but <laughs> I'm glad. He, 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 guys realize he is sitting with his dog coffee in his lap like an evil mastermind, like a Bond villain, you know. I mean, that's, he was just sitting there cackling to himself when he got that message. So just picture Joe with like a like a monocle, a scar, or his Jason mask or whatever, holding coffee whatever. and just savoring that this child was scared to death by a creature from another dimension. Exactly. Well, it did. I was I was kind of happy that Philip was frightened. But um, well, at least you know. Well, beyond that, he I guess um, Dan said then Philip uh, felt pretty excited about hearing his name dropped, you know, on the show, and he was kind of telling his buddies about it. And then they, I guess, uh, uh, I think Dan downloaded the show for Philip to have uh, to take to school, listen on the bus or whatever. And then Dan said that he got a call from Philip's school saying that uh, I guess apparently Philip wanted to play the podcast for his class. And uh, Philip's uh, principal then, I guess, listened to make sure it was okay. And I guess they listened to part of it in then Philip's third grade class. They listened to it, liked it, and I guess maybe they'll listen to the rest of it Monday. But it's cool to see that um, – I mean, well, first I want to give a shout-out. I want to give a shout-out to uh, his teacher. His third grade teacher is uh, Miss Jardina – I think it's Miss Jardina. I hope I said your name right. And his principal is Thomas Lenton. 
and they're from Austintown Elementary School. And that's his third grade class, and they're going to hopefully get to hear the, you know, the rest of it for Monday. But that's fantastic just to see. I mean, first, it's great like that. It's sad that Masters, there is no, you know, new Masters cartoon, but this is for the people who say Masters of the Universe wouldn't work in this day and age. Oh, people wouldn't be into that. Well, just look at this shot of just them listening to it in his third grade class into that the teacher getting a kick out of it the principal getting a kick out of it that that's a good feeling for masters fans definitely i mean we can only hope that uh they're gonna uh you know like come up with like a masters of the universe day at this elementary school here and that you know instead of you know doing like a, a field day they're gonna have an extravaganza inside the school gymnasium and they'll be playing he-man and she-ra cartoons and they'll be doing reenactments <laughs> of, of the live action film a blade, Karg, Saurad, and uh, and Beastman chasing some little elementary school girl around the gym, like, oh, it's gonna be fantastic, and <laughs> yeah, you know, I guess, and, uh, yeah. autograph signings and things like that, and and uh, it's just it's just, uh, but it's really cool to hear that this this very very smart teacher here and this very brilliant principal have have allowed He-Man to enter the school through our voices here. We just really want to thank you for. Uh, allowing uh, young Philip there to uh, play his excitement and share it with everybody. And uh, here's hoping that uh, if the class is good, they get to watch He-Man cartoons on Fridays. And that would be cool. That'd be a definite, some good resets. I mean, recess time to have something, have a 20 minutes just to pop in an episode and see what we enjoyed back then and have a good message. And there's never nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's the thing. Yeah, you never know until you, you introduce it and, and uh, I, I've, I've always had that. I mean, with you and I've had this discussion before, and I think even my my dad has has told me like he said, I'm it's like a bit kids that they wouldn't it would love this stuff, and you know because he knew I was still into the, you know He Man, Chira, and Thundercats and stuff like that. And I was like, yeah, but unfortunately they're they're subjected to cheap looking cartoons and bad CGI animation and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. there's just not a whole lot of you know kind of tough guy cartoons and tough girl cartoons. It's you know, I mean, the stuff that's come in the years, I mean, in the past years, I'm like, eh, I just don't see the appeal here. And I, I just, I don't see why the stuff that we love so much, it's stuck with us for a very long time. I can't think of any other decade of entertainment, children's entertainment, that has got the magnitude of the 80s. And, and He-Man and She-Ra are definitely pivotal points of that. So I don't, I don't see why other people wouldn't appreciate as much as we do. No, I mean, and that's, I completely agree. I mean, we're we're trying to give back in a way like i said it's sad that we have to keep it alive but you know we're anytime they talk that's what i mean anytime it is discussed about a cartoon would a cartoon work would a movie work but it's especially a cartoon and i don't like when i guess other voices speak for everybody when they say that you know oh no kids nowadays they're jaded they're maybe more into electronics they wouldn't care but then when i hear a story like that with philip and his kid i mean his class and all his friends it shows there is interest. Like, you know, would you just have faith in people and and the ones that always say the morals are stupid? I'm like, why? How how is it? I mean, how can a moral be stupid? It's not like they're talking down to you. It's something nice. And every one of the cartoons back then did it from GI Joe to Transformers. And I think even Thundercats, and there was always some kind of nice little moral at the end of the cartoon. What's wrong with trying to say something nice to the kids out there who are really into this and maybe worshiping and idolizing these characters? Well, I think I think it's also draws for people who who just remember the cartoon and they remember morals. And now that they're adults, they think they're above that. And as well as thinking like, oh, Skeletor is goofy, and so is the cartoon, and you know this and that, and 
you're really just speaking from a memory because you think you're too cool for this kind of stuff, but you're you're probably into like Transformers, you know, uh, Armada Prime or some sort of other, you know, ridiculous knockoff that, you know, Hasbro keeps throwing out of the original Transformers or something like that. Who knows what you're into? But, right. you know, I just feel like all these cartoons are still around for a reason. You know, that's why Hasbro is still churning out G.I. Joe and Transformers, why Mattel is still, well, you know, has, has kept, you know, gave He-Man another shot. And eventually we got the current line that we have right now because it still still resonates with us. Same thing with Turtles, you know, so that's it's it's stupid and silly to think and ignorant to, to, to kind of dismiss the He-Man and She-Ra cartoons as anything more than like just goofy, cheap entertainment from the 80s when – Anybody, if you, you're wearing a T-shirt into some kind of random place, whether at work or whatever, you got He-Man or she or whatever it is, people will stop and take notice. I mean, it's just one of those things that people have to stop and say, hey, you got a He-Man shirt on, you know, or... No, it's, yeah, you're right. So uh, here's hoping that uh, Philip can spread spread the gospel, uh, the That's good word right. of, uh, of Masters of the Universe cartoons and tell tell the people about how cool Too Bad is and how awesome the live-action movie is and <laughs> Modulock and, and Buzz Off and all the cool She-Ra characters and stuff like that for the girls, you know, and stuff like that. So uh, we need we need uh, Philip to be a good uh, representative for us in his elementary school and, and work on his teacher and getting, you know, cartoons played every now and then as like a treat or something like that. There you go. One way or another, it's going <laughs> to slowly come back. It's slowly going to come back. It's so. a, such a cool story. I, I'm glad his dad shared that with you. I mean, it's yeah, just, I mean, it's me too. So that, cool. I mean, that's what makes doing these podcasts so fun is when you could just reach anybody and then they give you a story like that. It's like uh, that just gives you a great feeling. So I was really, you know, happy to hear something like that. But all right. Well, I'll tell you what, Tyler. Let's move into Joked. a mini. Let's move into a mini comic. Let's get into one that it's probably again another one that you don't hear much about, but I, myself, I think it was pretty good. Maybe you don't, and I'll even let you go and start off with it. And that's the Flying Fists of Power. Your thoughts on that mini comic? Go ahead, and then we can just ramble back and forth about it. Overall, a fairly dismissive comic. Okay. Um, I didn't like the artwork. I mean, the the it's just. It's drawn by Jim Mitchell, who uh, who did the Eye of the Storm, and um, I forget. I think he did another one too. Oh, he did a Menace of Multibot, I believe. Um, but the, the artwork alone, it's all right. It's passable, but you know when you've you've got people like you know Larry Houston, Mark Texera, Alcala, Bruce Tim, Stan Sakai, uh, you just Sakai, excuse me. Uh, you just kind of feel like you, you expect a certain level of quality. And, of course, this is not as bad as other ones that we're not going to mention today. There's but some other hot – you're right. There's some other hot messes. I mean, I guess I would say when you're talking about the art, I think – I'm big on art. That's what, that's, that, that's what, to me, you know, you will get my attention with beautiful artwork. And I, I could pass a bad story for the most part if it's a really, really bad story, you know, something that's being released by D.C., or something like that. Did you yeah. feel like he was really trying to get a lot of, this is tricky to say, almost like human details and facial you know, expressions and features to almost everybody? Like, I mean, when you even think about Too Bad, Too Bad kind of had more of, a, I don't know, human tones and facial expressions compared to like a monster, if you know what I mean. I don't know, am I saying this right? When I, I felt like Too Bad was, was, was you know, had too, too much... Um... Uh, kind of poor, pitiful thing. I mean, we're talking about a two-headed, 
evil warrior here that's supposed to be, you know, you would think is like up high in the ranks of, of, of evil characters, you know, because of the, of, you know, it's two guys morphed into one okay. you know, that seem very angry and, and brutish. And they're drawn as very kind of, you know, simpletons, even though they're not, you know, it, it just, just not what I, I come to, I mean, Beastman even, you know, I mean, he looks, you know, fairly, you know, close to the filmation cartoon, but too bad is, is not drawn with the, any kind of menace that I'd expect. I mean, Skeletor's face looks kind of ghoulish, but I like it. I'm it, glad it you said kinda, I just, I don't know. I feel like it's kind of a sloppy kind of, you know, easy route of trying to draw Skeletor. Well, that's what's, that's the thing about me. I really appreciate his Skeletor. It's, it is different. It feels like it's not just the typical skull face that we've seen so many times and interpreted in different ways. You did get more of, like you said, a ghoulish, almost fleshy, like, I don't know, maybe a rotting already face. I don't know, but it's, it's skull-like, but it's, it's real gritty and for some reason, I really appreciate his version of Skeletor, which is one almost no fans really talk about. But I kind of do like his Skeletor. I mean, I can understand why you do like it. I mean, there, it's it's like I mean, you, you definitely said it right. Where he's definitely a character, and, and same thing with like you know someone like Hordak, where artists have have taken the pretty much presented the same character, but the face, wh whether it's drawn kind of you know old and craggly or ghoulish or very demonic looking or very, you know, very like straight up yellow skull. I mean, there's, you wouldn't think, but you know, that's, that's, that's what artists do. They, they take their own ideas and, and, and kind of give their own interpretation of the character. And it's, you can't, you know, mistake it for being anything. It's definitely not similar to anybody else who did the mini comics. It definitely exactly. on its own. So that, that deserves merits. Definitely. So, well, while the art, like you said, might be iffy for some, different for others. Now, the story, you said, you know, it's kind of eh, not maybe the most memorable, but are there any highlights or things that you remembered in this that maybe could be pointed out? Or just what did you think of the story in general? Uh, it's it, it just kind of feels like, you know, one of those things where, you know, we have this variant Flying Fist He-Man. We need to incorporate story. We need to come up with a mini comic to kind of sell, help sell this toy. And I feel like the whole Flying Fist thing, you know, it, it feels like it doesn't make sense to give, you know, they, they have the Thunder Punch gimmick and the Thunder Punch mini comic where He-Man's kind of given this extra strength with this kind of booster pack. But then all of a sudden he's given Flying Fist the power to give him extra strength. When really the flying fist is is the is the, the the weapon. The weapon is the flying fist with the the spinning spheres that that spin and the shield that spins. That's that's the gimmick. That that is what you're trying to sell is the items that He-Man's coming with, and to sit there and say that he has extra strength, as opposed to here's these cool weapons which aren't aren't. I feel like they they never did draw the flying fist with any kind of. It, it just looks like a little toy like those those toys where you had as kids that had like uh uh these uh a ball on each end and you would spin it and they would smack each other yeah and yeah not a paddle ball but it's, it just looks like a cheap little toy it, it doesn't look like you know when you see the action figure this this cool uh, you know hammered fist i i think they call that call it that in the commercial but it it just the, the weapon looks doesn't look intimidating at all <laughs> kind of like eh, it, it blah. looks very you know you know childlike it looks like something that that children would be running around playing with not defeating you know lords of destruction with do you think that's why i mean i guess the reason i kind of really 
brought up this mini comic is what you're just talking about right now, flying fists of power. And when he uses his flying fists of power, he's using his weapons. And I'm like, okay, flying fists are his flying fists. I remember I used to always take the weapons off, move that figure side to side to have his fists going, you know, moving quick. So it felt like they were more showing the gimmicks of the weapons, which that's why, was it, the Curse of Terror Island. What is the mini comic that was the lost mini comic? That... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, or Escape from Terror Island, Return to Terror Island. Okay, whatever that Terror Island was. In that one, when didn't he use his flying Return fist gimmick? Terror Island. That's it. Oh, okay. Weren't his flying fists drawn as flying fists in that? No, in fact, they're drawn even smaller than their their. It looks like a small, almost like dagger size. You know, Wait, what am I thinking of? What did I see in one of these mini comics where he showed his flying fist power and he was really using his fists? He was just like, you've seen his fists moving quick, but no weapons. Or am I just completely like a freaking There was a panel in one of the books where you see it's like a, a nice kind of panel of He-Man's arms moving in multiple, but I think he's using the power sword like to block stuff. I don't think he's Is using it to uh, uh, or using the, the flying fists. And I, I know there's an image of He-Man doing that in one of the books and all right, I gotta find I can't it. Give it right off, but all right, I'm gonna have to find that one because yeah, I thought that... the Terror Claws gimmick used in its mini comic, it's it's done a lot more prominent as opposed to, um, you know, the Flying Fist. I mean, a, a book that's based on the actual gimmick itself, um, it just feels like it just kind of fell flat. It's it's almost like a, a fart in the wind. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, we got we got to get this in here. Yeah, because I almost feel like that's why maybe they axed the other one. The Lost Mini comic was for this one because they at least showed more of his weapons. I don't know. But the story, the reason I find it interesting is it, it shows, again, how there's always some different type of origin or however the writer. You know, you always wondered how much free range or, you know, the writers had when doing these mini comics because they're always so different because it starts off, you know, it's He-Man and the Sorceress sitting by a fire, not in Castle Grayskull. Yeah, but in the palace, some like wait, what in the palace? So you're seeing the sorceress as the sorceress in the palace, and as you know, I mean, yes, she's always been interpreted different to where sometimes she can use her power outside of Grayskull, but it's usually in the mini comics, and then a special occasion she turns into the sorceress, and or if Morgan the... decides to turn it into her for a really bad storyline. Oh, uh, you had to throw that in, but um, so yes, yeah, so things are different, but this one. Again, you had He-Man with her at the beginning. She tells and you know bestows upon him a, the new flying fists of power. So if he's ever in trouble, he could use these. You know, he could call upon them, and he'll be able to use the flying fists. But I found that interesting again as another place where the sorceress is, not in Grayskull, but there and at a fire, and she's in her human form. But it's what I always say about when some people say, you know, for Adam and He-Man. What's the sense of having a secret identity? He could be He-Man all the time and not worry about being Adam. But I always, and that's weird. I always just say, I'm like, but sometimes, you know, like, let's say you just want to relax. You know, you want, you don't want to have the troubles of, I guess, always having to defend to do this, that if there's a day where you can relax, he, he might want to relax as Prince Adam. I know it sounds nuts. I know they always depict him as being lazy, but, uh, in this one, you see that. You do see him just trying to relax and not have any worries. And, of course, a crazy bird flies, which I always wondered. He acknowledges this goofy-looking bird. I always thought, was that supposed to be their version of Zoar, or is he just apparently talked to all flying animals? You know what I mean? Well, it starts off as this kind of little, little quaint little bird that's, you know, 
uh, speaking. And, of course, you know, as we've seen so many times, everything speaks from trees to, uh, you know, all kinds of animals and, and mirrors and all, all kinds of – everything talks. Mm-hmm. You know, rabbits, you know, everything. So to, for a little bird to fly by and, and say hey to Adam doesn't seem far fetched, but it's clearly just, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's a little guys, you know, to kind of like, Oh boy, oh, what's going to happen to here? This bird's all ugly. And you know, yeah. a, a, a giant uh, kind of looks like a, a, a giant yellow parrot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Real menacing, but yeah. Like, got... uh, the, the parrot from Aladdin or something like that. Yeah. Only bigger and then getting more grotesque or whatever. Yeah. But that was the plot, I guess. Cause Skeletor, you know, is wanting to get in the castle gray skull. And he needs a key, but he figured the key would be kidding. I mean, you know, abducting Prince Adam and that will draw out He-Man. So it's like, oh, here we go. We know we've kind of seen this storyline or tried to see the storyline before. So this bird. Yeah, if you wonder what we're talking about, we're talking about Disappearing Act from season one. Fantastic <laughs> underrated episode. <laughs> see? So, yeah, so this bird then appears, grabs him. And of course, here's Beastman then and too bad. And Skeletor, I think, puts some manacles or something to like hold Prince Adam to where he can't, you know, get freed. And then the next scene is there's, you got man at arms. You got, I think it was, but was it, but yeah, buzz off, buzz off and cyclone. They're all in front of castle Grayskull. And here comes Skeletor to then basically say, you know, you, I have Adam and you got to get he man or so we can get inside or whatever. Otherwise he's going to do something to Adam. But when all this is happening back and forth and the nonsense and whatever, Skeletor eventually takes his focus away from Prince Adam and is trying to open the jaw bridge and use his magic or whatever. And eventually Adam, went, you know, he has to get away to become He-Man. This is where I found something different. It seemed like it was almost written that, yes, I know Man-at-Arms has always, he has to play clueless too about knowing the secret identity of, you know, Adam to He-Man. He can't let that be out. But I actually think the writer wrote it as if Man-at-Arms didn't know Adam and He-Man were one and the same. I don't know if you got that out of it, but if you look back at it, it's just the way they were all addressing each other back and forth, how it was written, how Man-at-Arms is there. Something was strange, but even when he comments to He-Man saying, you know, what happened to Adam? I actually looked at it like not him doing that as a clueless thing, but as seriously. Do you think that this writer wrote it to where he figured nobody knew it? Yeah, he probably wasn't given a whole lot of directive since he is draw- doing a story just, you know, for the action figures and probably, you know, was given some directives and things like that. But he probably was not too aware because, the you know, Man at Arms, you know, knowing who He-Man is, is pretty much the storyline from the cartoon. And he may not have, you know, seen the cartoon, watched or drew any kind of inspiration from it. Um you know, let's see. I'm just gonna say that. I guess this really comes up to the writer Tim Kilpin, but um, uh, it's and it could be where he's just like you know, like you would see in the cartoon, Man at Arms has to sit there and say publicly, you know, um, I'm sure Adam is safe. You know, wouldn't you say he man or, or saying something for the benefit of people who don't know what's going on? Like Cyclone, he's standing there looking on, concerned. You know, so you just kind of have to acknowledge it because you don't want to sit there and say. Ah, he's fine, Cyclone. Don't worry about it. <laughs> right, right. And stop crying or, or something like that. It has to has to kind of play up the, um, I guess the the kayfabe. If we want to pull out a, a wrestling term there, he's 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 kayfabing. You know what's going on with He Man and Adam there. All right, because you know I, that's something. Sure, I was wondering too, but uh, 
I don't know. You get different kind of feelings sometimes when you read something. And I actually was under the impression the writer might've been clueless. Yeah. Cause it, yeah. Cause it just was strange. Like, Oh, you're just throwing man at arms there with the other two. Like, I mean, you know, man at arms is always supposed to be the wise one and he's supposed to be intuitive about stuff. And, and he's maybe not going to, you know, he might've been back at the palace, but just to see him there with the other guys, I felt like they just eh, wrote them all together. But I mean, like I said, that's just my interpretation of it. But what you, Another thing is, yeah, they had to get out the flying fist gimmick. So when He-Man, or I'm sorry, when Adam transforms into He-Man, they, of course, did one of those classic other things that drove a lot of people crazy. When he said, by the power of Grayskull, he said, I am He-Man instead of I have the, the power. But, eh, well, you know, I guess it happens. And then he calls upon the flying fists to break them manacles or something. I guess, you yeah. know, he couldn't just do it as regular He-Man. Which, that, yeah, it, it, it just it's not written the way you think it would be. I mean, it's, it's like I said, it's an extra boost of strength, not the, the ability to, which you think naturally that He-Man could spin his fist in every direction, almost like a tornado. Well, he doesn't like in the filmation cartoon where if he wants to make a tornado, he can, which means his fists are flying in every direction, essentially. So mm-hmm. you kind of feel like the flying, I've always felt to this day that the flying fist is the weapons, the, 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 the hammered fist, the flying fist with the three, the three spheres that spin so it can smack people around stuff like that Did never, you, you know, oh okay yeah ne- never the idea that he-man could could spin his fists in every direction to be a lot faster i feel like if he was going to do that he could do it on his own not not because of this uh extra power boost the sorceress kind of presents to him just whenever he calls upon it i like that i mean i like how everybody can have their different interpretation because for me i I could not stand his weapons as a kid. That's just strange you mention it. I just I hated those weapons. I, I, loved- I didn't like him as a kid either. I never had the figure. I just thought like, how is He Man? How can you release He Man without the power sword? And even though I never saw it in person until I got much older, and I thought actually this is a beautiful looking figure. I mean, with the vac metal and the the brown oh, yeah. white boots. I mean, look, it's one probably my favorite variant. But yeah, as a kid, I just thought like you can't. I don't want a He Man figure without the sword. And I used to sit on the back of some of the mini comics. And I just thought, why would I ever want that He-Man figure when he doesn't come with the power sword? It, and I guess you could see things always different ways. Cause what, what I would do is, you know, you're talking about the way you've seen it. I, I took his weapon, his weapons off. And as for Skeletor, I love the terror claws that pretty much said it all. Yeah. Those claws stayed on and I would swing him side to side and it looked like he was slashing him. Plus I used to think he was like Freddy Krueger or something. So when He-Man would fight him, it's like, okay, the weapons or gloves are off, if you will. He would just take those weapons off and I would move him side to side so his fist could go like punching into Skeletor quick. So I literally took the flying fist as his fist. That's how it was for me as for that character. How wrong you are, Joe. How wrong I am. So now fans <laughs> are going to have to write in and say, okay, is Tyler right with the flying fist being the weapons or a flying fist being fists? And there is no right or wrong. But for me, I, I had to just have be his raw fists just punching Skeletor. Well, that's, that's what's fun about this. Everyone, you know, that's why you get so put out with people who want to go out of their way to tell you, no, your way of thinking is wrong because according to what I have to say and according to the rumors I started, this is how it's supposed to be. Yeah. You know, it's, and that's that's what's fun about all this stuff. It's, you know, people get so bent out of shape because, oh, they messed up on this and they goofed with that. I'm like, you know what? They've been doing it since the very beginning. This line has never had a definitive canon from beginning to end. It is constantly evolving and changing, going back to this and then going back to that. And then, you know, they cut this out and they put it back in. It's just one of those things where, like, you know what? Pick and choose what you want and don't worry about, you know, 
if if some guy doesn't like it that way, then that's fine because you see it a certain way. It's it's just I think it's it's so much fun that way to really you know pick and choose how you want to see the mythology. Sure, you know, that's why I think a new movie would really upset it so many people because everybody has it. Well, it's the same thing with any superhero movie. You know, in, in any other comic book, everyone has their idea of what the character should be from Spider-Man, Batman, Superman, Flash, Green Lantern, Wolverine, whatever. Everybody has a certain idea of what, you know, these characters are supposed to be. I mean, it goes, this goes forever from people like Buzz Off and Moduloc and Roboto. We all have an idea of what we think that character should be. And it's it's a that's what I think makes this property so much more harder to please everybody because there are so many variations as we're talking right now you clearly saw this this variant figure is someone who smacks people with his fist mm -hmm. and i see it as with like well that's what the weapons are for and that's just a small variation you know true no i mean you're absolutely right that's am why I here? am i am i making any sense here amato Huh? Did you say something? What? No, no, you made absolute sense. That's what I mean. It's because you're right. You do get fans that sometimes will get on one thing that has, it's only this, that's the way it has to be. And yes, there's always different interpretations, different, uh, like you said, canons, uh, uh, ways the characters are created. I mean, there's something we're not always going to like, just like uh, not making spoilers, but yes, the Thundercats uh, He-Man crossover comic, which I loved a lot of the parts, some of the parts, which what you were saying and talking about, they did switch up way things are supposed to be, whether it's intentional or not knowing the history of something. Mm. But, um, you know, whatever. Some people don't like it or love it. Like I said, that comic, I liked it a lot, except a couple elements. I won't say it because uh, I don't want to spoil it for fans. Uh, who we're, read. we're talking to people who still have not picked up that comic. I mean, Well, there's, yeah, there's some that haven't. And for those who haven't, and when they do, if they are wondering what we're talking about, they can always ask us. And I'll bring up a couple of different changes but so all in all this this comic like i said yes might not have been groundbreaking but i liked some of the different points that were shown because again showing different things whether where the sorcerers is at how he's transforming uh things about maybe possibly man at arms knowing not knowing i find some you know stuff like that always interesting it's not a bad story i mean especially i mean if i'd have gotten this as a kid i may have enjoyed it but I, I mean, it may, I may, it may have even been a forgotten one because I, I remember I had the Leech mini comic and I completely forgot about anything that was in it until, Ooh. you know, viewing it, you oh, know, much years later shows you kind of what what kind of uh, impact it had on me. It was a doozy. If fans ever want us to talk about one of the, uh... I hope they don't. <laughs> yeah. But... <laughs> well, but if I, they do, if they, yeah. they have to cover it at some point, that along yeah. with some of the other. Um, Honestly, and what's messed up about that is some like some of the horde ones, uh, you know, like Mantana and Leech. Grizzler got a solid one. Hordak got a really good one. Mosquito got a good one. Uh, Multibot didn't get a. Eh, it was all right. I don't recall it being anything more than. But Leech and definitely Mantana, especially Leech. Yeah, they had some of the. If you want to say stinkers of the universe, I mean, there might be fans who liked them, but um, they're they that, was, weird that was a rotten tomato. That one was. I, I, yeah. I, I mean, every, every, there's a fan for everything. There's probably sure. a, you know a small group of fans who love Batman and Robin. There's a small group of fans who probably love you know, uh, the prequels of Star Wars. I mean, they're all they're, there's a fan for everything out there, and I'm sure. If there's somebody listening to this and you're a fan of the Leech Mini comic, let us know because it would be just curious to hear what you know. Is it just it was your first one, or you just thought it was really crazy kooky artwork, or 
you just thought, you know, hey, this is fantastic work, and I uh, I intend to have the 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 inker or an illustrator and writer all autograph my copy. Hey, and you know exactly, people. I mean, there might be people that really love that, and I'm not saying they're wrong for liking it because there's things I like that they hate, and that's what's good about all, you know all of us having our own opinions. So, but yeah, we might have to discuss that one, but. Now that you're talking about how you were saying so many different interpretations that there's never been one kind of definitive canon, how about we talk about let our character profile this week be about the goddess slash the sorceress, however you want to interpret. What's, uh, well, which one do you remember seeing first? Because I know you did rent those videos a lot of the Filmation cartoons. Was the sorceress from the cartoon the one you seen first? Do you remember the sorceress as looking like, well, as we know, goddess, Tila, whatever, headdress, whatever? I, I, the first two human figures I got did not come with the, as far as, far as I can remember, the um, uh, Alcala um, mini-comic. So it was whatever was part of the reissues, which the reissue figures came with an, a varied assortment of the kind of more current uh, uh, comics. But I can't remember which ones they came with. But my my first and only interpretation of the character was was the filmation, and then followed by the movie version of the sorceress. So it, it, the bird form, that's all I ever saw, and um, the whole Tila warrior goddess thing, I did, wasn't even aware of that until I started looking at figures been on card when I think when I was in middle school, I think, in magazines and stuff like that. So I wasn't aware of the whole goddess character until I got. Uh, He-Man and the Power Sword at a flea market and was flipping through it and, and saw that Tila's here, but then there's the Tila action figure with green skin and I'm, it was it that that's where that was that was back in high school and I remember thinking like I don't what is this? I don't it's like okay, I guess this is supposed to be the sorceress essentially and then we have Tila who's you know, Tila, blonde hair and and all that stuff. So I, I mean, I got it. It, it is, as a kid, it may have confused me a bit, but I, I knew what they were doing. And by that point I had understood that the line had changed, you know, significantly from the beginning to, you know, by 87. Um, was there yeah. ever a reason? Did they ever say why for, you know, the filmation sorcerers, which we know that there was even a different way she was drawn in her concept. You know, you can see that in some, you know, books, but, uh, was there ever a reason they said they decided, hey, let's go with this brand new sorcerer so that's going to be like, you know, bird-like instead of just using kind of that sorceress slash goddess look with the cobra headdress and possibly keeping her green, not green? Did they ever say? I, I've i never read an article about that. And I don't know, and I don't know the, the Formation Bible inside and out and if that was a mentioned detail or not. Um, but you know, I know that when they were doing the cartoon that they looked at a lot of the figures or, or they got concept drawings of what's coming down the line. And they, you know, it's they probably saw the, the goddess figure and they probably thought like they probably could not because, you know, Lou Scheimer is definitely about making it as, as wholesome as possible, but obviously maintaining the edge that the cartoon had. I could see him saying like, I can't I don't know if I want to present a a, a female good guy you know wearing a cobra armor and green skin he feels he probably would have thought like this seems more like something a villain would look like so let's make her more you know let's give her human colored i mean like you know generic caucasian skin 
in a bird outfit, or who knows who knows what they came up with prior to the the final look. In a good way of crossing over, then with Zoar, like, hey, let's just use Zoar the Falcon. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, hey, we can combine. We got the Zoar the Falcon. Let's let's say she turns, and that's what we'll do. We'll take the motif of the Zoar the Falcon, and you know, we'll just combine the two and make her outfit resemble Zoar the Falcon. I mean, it's it probably it, it may have just been simple as that. They probably didn't even you know think about that. who knows. It's hard to say. It's, yeah, because she makes you feel. That's the thing. The sorceress from the filmation cartoon. You're right. Looking at her compared to how the goddess was with the headdress and the snake headdress, whatever. I mean, definitely in the cartoon, she seems like she would make you feel safer, and she looks more wholesome and nice. She's a very motherly character. Too. Yes, exactly. You feel safe with her, whereas the goddess could be more mystical and you know, uh, you know, mysterious. Not to sound like two of the same words, but possibly something like that where you know hey this person has a lot of magic powers but um you're right you kind of feel maybe a little uncomfortable around her i don't know you know just because of how her look i don't even know if that would make sense possibly i i I just i feel like you know based on how they they kind of address characters and things like that i feel like they would probably want to make if this is supposed to be one of the one of the good guys and someone who's guarding castle gresco we want her to look uh, probably, I mean, and obviously they wrote her as a very motherly character, someone who is there. It's like a, a an open ear for Adam or slash Heeman to talk to, or even Orko. Uh, so you probably want to accommodate that personality with a more, even though the Falcon head headdress on her head has a very serious look. It doesn't look, you know, goofy and hokey, mm-hmm. but it looks more friendly with the with the Zoar color motif as a more of a uh, a warm an approachable character, even though she clearly is someone who's guarding probably arguably the most, um, well, yeah, the, the most sacred uh, part of this mythology. I, yeah, I can understand that does make sense. Now, I guess I'll ask you another thing about, well, sorcerer slash goddess when we're talking about these different versions, but talking about the sorceress in general, this is when, like how we mentioned earlier in the Flying Fist of Power mini comic, where things get confusing. In the mini comics, She's always been drawn multiple times where she's outside of Castle Grayskull in her human form. And that was not just uh, after the Three Towers rose, because I know they wrote a, one of the stories where they explain how she can be in her human form outside of Grayskulls because of the, the rising of the Three Towers. But, but It's just it's like passive, like things have changed since then. It's just kind of one of those things like I just felt like because particularly that mini comic the sorcerer's figure it, it came with that mini comic and that mini comic needs to feature Scareglow, Ninjor, King Randor, Faker, Clamp Champ, and the Sorceress. Was it was that six six characters have all got to be featured in this mini comic. You know, we're gonna have to quickly just kind of break this kind of, you know, rule and, and just say, well it's and, and you, you believe it because when these three towers rise out of, of the ground for the story, you kind of feel like you know, you could buy that. It's it, it, even though it really comes off as throwaway, like really quick. We need to, you know, do you think throw that's this be- in here to kind of like let everyone know. But um, well, that's what I mean. Do you think it's because obviously, yes, we finally got the figure of the sorceress, which everybody by then, you know, have seen in the cartoon so many times that now that we have a definitive figure of her, let's then kind of explain in case the people who do watch the cartoon religiously wonder how she outside of Grayskull, even though. Before that comic, remember, she was in plenty of the mini comics where she was outside of Castle Grayskull in her human form. 
you know, but always with some different color where she was either all, you know, pink, you know, pink and white or just white, you know, it seemed like they had her outside of there, but that was before the, the rise of the three towers with that mini comic. Yeah. And I mean, the filmation cartoon, you know, it happened a couple of times, you know, mystery many faces it happens to, and it's not even really acknowledged, but it's just one of those things. It's nothing more than an error in the story. And that is it. It's not like someone was deciding, you know, and who knows, maybe somebody was got irritated with uh, their boss while they're writing the mini comic or a formation. And so, you know what, I ah, for you, you know, or, or, you know, forget you, excuse me, you know, and decided, you know, what, I'm going to write it like this way just because I can, or it's just nothing more than just a goof. Okay. Cause you hear it. Cause you do hear it debated a lot. I mean, a lot yeah, of people I feel like you guys are just debating something that that's simply just an error. It, that's all it is. It's like a, a, a bad edit or a goof in the film or, something that was cut due to time in the 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 film or the story doesn't make sense because well we don't have enough room for that panel cut it and then you got this kind of continuity gap people are left thinking how dare they screw this up well it's because of this I'm like you know what sometimes it's just an error just a goof do you like that idea of her being possibly powerless or not being able to turn into the sorceress outside of, i mean outside of grayskull only being powerful inside of Grayskull or inner human form. Do you, do you like that idea? I, I like it because it feels like it adds an extra sense of danger because it feels like, you know, you can't, it, it makes the story, it makes, you know, from a writer's standpoint, you got to be creative and how, you know, that the, the danger, you know, if she can't leave, I mean, obviously like the temple of the sun or the uh, temple of, uh, 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 ah, shoot. Um, temple of darkness where, which, you know, essentially kind of based similar on each other, where, you know, Zora the Falcon is captured, which means Grayskull was kind of left unattended, which, you know, people knew what they had. They could go, they could attack it and stuff like that. But I, I, to me, it's, it's, it's no different than having He-Man have a secret identity. It adds more depth to that character. It gives them a weakness, like, that gives the sorceress, like, her big weakness as a character. If she's gone, she can't protect Grayskull. If she's, and that, you know, what she can only you know, maintain her human form. And so it just adds, I think, a little extra flavor to the character, you know, knowing that from a, uh, a character standpoint, she can never visit her daughter. Well, I mean, she does in Tila's Quest, which is arguably one, I mean, it's one of the best episodes of the series. That right there, also written by Paul Dini, uh, breaks continuity, but it's such a good story, you buy into it. It's just one of those things that you get to see it one time where she, well, two times, speak to her daughter and essentially the rest of us as fans by the fact that she can't transform outside of gray skull and it, from a character standpoint i think that like i said I, I keep repeating myself it just adds more to the character same thing with adam and the secret identity you know you 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 get you go through the struggles with him you know you get upset because taylor and man-at-arms or somebody's or king randall not man-at-arms is giving him a lot of grief because of this and it's really because he was out as he-man doing that and you know, you feel for him, and you, it, it makes the character have more layers, and I think that's the layers for the sorceress. Well, I wish, I wish um, she had some type of power. Meaning, I, the reason I think it could have been different if hypothetically she showed some kind of magic powers outside of Grayskull. Like, let's say she was able to, in the cartoon, go outside of Grayskull in her human form and use magic, but. It's not as powerful. It's only really powerful when she goes back to Grayskull. Then she's, you know, basically super powerful. Like maybe, you know, 10 times as strong as normal. Because besides Oracle, who does a little magic, which, you know, they, of course, had to make him bumble. 
there's not really magic users for the good guys. And she's the only other one, but she's always at Grayskull. So you can only see it when they go to Grayskull. But what's sad is it seemed like every time they got to Grayskull, you know, you figured this is the sorceress. This is her place. This is where she should be super powerful. And it seemed like she would get bested a lot. Now, of course, we brought it up like last time. I brought it up about uh, Shigora. You know, nobody could stop Shigora. So, yes, Shigora made quick work of the sorceress too. But I thought even Mulcrum. I thought even Mulcrum was able to kind of with the help of Skeletor. And I don't know if Evelyn was there in that episode, Reign of the Monster. I It's been a while since I've seen it. But I thought they even were kind of maybe almost ready to best her. I'm figuring, you know what, this is, this is your home turf. You know, this is, this is your place. You should be able to wipe them out easily. So I feel like it could have maybe added a different element. I mean, maybe if, like I said, showing a little power outside of Grayskull, but in Grayskull, okay, you better do something to stop her. So then when you see her being stopped, it's like, oh Jesus, you know what I mean? Kind of, I don't know. Well, even that, you know, and like I said, you know, the, the writers have their own ideas and things are changing constantly. I mean, like you think of the taking of Castle Grayskull where Skeletor actually takes the castle for himself and transports it to another dimension. And he's got the sorceress captured inside Grayskull. Right. You know, so that whole, I mean, and, and it's really just because, you know, she's not written as the star of the show. We don't, we don't need to see her. You know, from 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 information standpoint and other cartoons, it gives no, nothing for He-Man to do if the sorceress can clearly take care of business inside Grayskull. I mean, if you know, there's been plenty of times, you know, Dragon Invasion, Diamond Ray Disappearance, taking a Castle Grayskull, and you know, and e even Evil Sea, where Skeletor is inside Castle Grayskull uh, to save Skeletor. You know, it's it it gives He-Man and the rest of the crew nothing to do if the sorceress can take care of herself inside Grayskull. Then it's like, well, we don't really need to be here. You know, there's not not much danger here if if the source could really take care of everything in, in inside Great Skull. It makes sense. I mean, no, it does make sense. It's just sometimes it upset me because then it made me feel like they're they're playing down her powerful, you know, or I mean her power because I'm picturing she's supposed to be super powerful. And if somebody can take over the sorceress when they get in there, I guess that's what anger me. But I mean, I, you're right. I guess that's just how they have to write it because otherwise, yeah, what's the sense of having He-Man? But I don't know, maybe if there's multiple people that came in and then got the best of her. But I don't know, sometimes I guess it just angered me. But I guess that's if, why if they it, were... If it was written, you know, you know, with these kind of guidelines today and the writers taking it seriously and understood... A lot, of, a lot of the kind of, not just the basics, but a lot of the in-depth guidelines that, that the majority of fans have come to know and accept and and believe is canon, then I think that would, would be a lot more truth to it, that if you're going to have somebody go into Grayskull with the sources guarding it, not not doing like the original storyline where nobody was guarding it. Yeah, always uh, open. Yeah, then you would always, you then you would really have to get creative and find out, well, how can this villain, whether it's Skeletal, Hordak, King Hiss, uh, you know, Lord Mask, whoever the case may be, decide, can break in here and stop this lady who clearly has more power inside on her on her, excuse me, on her home turf. You know, from a writing standpoint, you got to come up with something that's like, okay, that makes sense that she would be bested by this guy or group, even on her home turf when she's got more more uh, strength on her side than she would outside. It's it's just one of those things where it's yeah. 
I feel like I'm, I'm getting too long-winded here. <laughs> well, that's a, it's a tricky playing field. I guess that's why they wrote some of these super powerful characters for just very limited episodes because, yeah, if everybody could do it, then I guess, yeah, pretty much it'd be over quick. But I guess that's why they're memorable, some of those characters like Shigora and Mulcrum and, you know, whoever else may be. It's, uh, that's why I always shot you. I think that's why it's stuck in our heads, some of those, and including, like, Evil Sea. Like, Jesus, I mean, this, this guy's taking over everywhere in Eternia. You know, that's why they are so memorable. But... Well, beyond that sorceress, we'll go into another one. We'll go into, uh, we ain't get to see much of her. I mean, here, it's not me being negative, but um, I remember, no, I, and I know you know what's coming. That, you know. Because there's, you can't, there's nothing to defend in that. Problem. All right. All right. Well, you know what's coming. Um, the movie sorceress, when I first seen her, I remember how upset I was. I was, of course, used to filmation and the mini comic stuff. And I seen her, which yes, it's another version, but I thought, Oh God, this, wait, what? I mean, she didn't look anything like anything like any of them. And yes, I know it's another version, but especially when she was getting drained and looking old and haggard, something about that look, I couldn't stand, but sure as an adult, it's grown on me. I could see, Hey, very unique version. When you first seen that sorceress, did you just clearly accept her or did you have questions? Cause I know you love that movie to death, but what did you think of her? Maybe an initial thought of seeing her. I, I bought it hook, line, and sinker. I mean, everything in that movie because it, it wasn't too long after I, I was uh, acquainted with the series and the toys that I, I you know, that, that I saw the movie. And um, I've seen it so many times I couldn't tell you exactly the first time I saw it. That That's how embedded it is into my brain that it's just become like a it's, – it's like kind of crumbled to dust in the wind. You know, that it's, it's just embedded in my brain so much. I don't know life without this movie. Let's just put it that way. You know it as much as I do Friday the 13th, huh? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I, I, yeah I, I'm definitely on the same level there. So, okay. and I, I didn't, I was not uh, against any, any kind of uh, character changes, characters that were missing. Um, I, I thought, if you're telling me this is Grayskull, this is Skeletor, this is Elaine, this is the Sorceress, I'm like, I I, get, I buy it. I, I accept that. I don't I don't have no problems with it at all. I thought the outfit looked great with the crystal headdress. Um and Christina Pickles, you know, she's given very limited um uh screen time, but she's given some good dialogue. Um and she, she plays up what what you know and just remember too, the movie, you know, well, this is for another day, so we don't need to get into this too because I, I feel like there's so much to be said about that movie that we've already said before that like we there's more information to be said. And we'll we'll yeah. save that for another day. But I was gonna say that'll be a movie. Yeah, that'll be a movie topic. Yeah, yeah. But um, I I thought it was she was done really good. She had a lot of good scenes, even though she didn't get to do a whole lot because for the story she's captured and she's pretty much forced to stay in this forest field. So that's it. So story wise, you know, she's not doing a whole lot of you know uh, big speeches and stuff like. Even though that's what she does do, is she gives her moments of, of, of speech here and there and, and seeing as that she's slowly decaying and what, which was kind of frightening to me as a kid when I saw her, you know, when He-Man returns as a, uh, in Skeletor's hands and her face is all cranked, I mean, wrinkled and cracked. I didn't like it. I didn't like seeing that it was, face. It was like, oh man, yeah. this is awful. This is kind of scary looking. I mean, yeah. She, I mean, she looked like she was, well, dying because all of her energies yeah. be taken away. That was, yeah, she was gross looking to me as a kid. I, that's why I think, I really didn't like her as much because when I remember seeing that, I was like, oh, man, God, the sorceress looks like she's becoming a mummy or dead, and I couldn't stand it. But uh, 
Okay, so you you bought her hook, line, and sinker. The reason I'm doing this is because I'm leading up to basically, I mean, sure, there could be others, but I'm going to lead up to only one more sorceress. When MYP came out, what did you think of that sorceress with her egyptian theme type look what did you think did you buy that too or did you have issues uh initially i didn't mind it it was more about how the character was written and portrayed that's when i really just turned on the character i felt like this they don't they don't get this character and what was wrong about it do you think or in your mind or your opinion what was wrong about how she was written and portrayed she was a very uh bitter character like you never you never felt like or she just had no uh, – they never yeah. wrote her to have any kind of emotional content in the show. I mean, the, the one episode, I think it's called Ties That Bind, where they, that's the episode, at least for this series, they're linking her to being the mother of Tila. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought it was going to be a bad episode when, before I even saw it. And sure enough, it was one of the most forgettable episodes of the series, just because I just – it's like this is – I don't like neither one of these characters to begin with because of how they're written. And um, so almost going back to what we were saying earlier with the filmation sorceress feeling like motherly, like warm and soft and safe. This one, you got a cold feeling from her. Or? Very, very, very. She's either just kind of giving you the exposition or she is someone that's like, you know, you, you know, I don't have time to be uh, motherly. I don't have time for it. It's, it just feels like, you know, judging strictly on what this show was supposed to be here. You know, we all think of the sources as this very lovable and likable character. And if you like your your female heroes like that, there was not a whole lot of personality, even though the character doesn't do a whole lot in the show. She just, she just, there, there was nothing memorable memorable about her at all. It's just I can't, I can't think of a single time where I felt like, you know what, that was actually a pretty good moment, not once. What about her powers? Do you feel like they kind of, at least when she was there and protecting Grayskull, did they ever do her right in your opinion or no? Or No, I, I just, I never saw her as anything more than she's a very kind of poor interpretation of the character. Cause you never, they never really did a whole lot, you know, devoted to her. And I mean, not the filmation, you know, she was in so many episodes, but she was either captured or, you know, telling He-Man, look, something's coming. You need to get here and stop it kind of thing, in, which she did some of that in NYP. I just, she just, and it's not not the whole thing of like, oh, well, you're just nostalgia or you're older now, so you're just clinging to what was when you were young. I was like, no, it's not, that's not the case. I, old I, man I think, Baker, it's old man Baker throwing the rocks at the kids coming at his house like, you get off my lawn. Well, just know I'm the youngest between me and Joe here. You know, I'm a lot, young, I mean, not a whole lot younger. I'm what you trying to say? Well, I'm just saying that the old man mentality is from the youngest guy, you know, talking here. Yep. And I, I just felt like because there's, I could do a whole another podcast if you're talking about episodes I was not too much of a fan of that I love as an adult now. And so it's it's not that. I just because MYP got a lot of good things right, but they also screwed up a lot of things. But the sources, it wasn't like a something where I felt like, oh man, they really screwed up on this one, like they did with King Grayskull, that whole idea, you know. Did but, you dig her design out at all a little bit? You know, it, was, it was all right. It, it just felt like they're just trying to do something different and new for the show. Yeah. You know, and, and I took it nothing more than that. I'm like, it's it's not a it's not a sin. It's not something that offends me or bothers I me. I liked it. I mean, I liked her design. It, it, it was, was different. It was yeah. fine. It, it didn't bother me. It's more about how she was written. I'm like, man, this character sucks. Yeah. 
I guess that's for the more jaded, like I said, how we were talking about, hey, the kids are jaded now. Let's make her a little, oh my God, I'm starting to talk like you. And you're like, hey, man, you got to do this, man. I didn't know if you ever noticed you do that. But um, <laughs> but uh, no, I guess maybe they're writing it for maybe a different uh, generation. Think, let's make it a little more serious, you know, especially if people were saying the filmation one was, you know, corny or hokey and too kiddie. Well, there, there was nothing cool or, 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 or witty or like, oh, man, yeah, this is the mud and the sewers here, yeah. Like no, there's not. There's nothing. There's nothing memorable about her. You know, there's nothing to write home about. There's nothing to, you know, cling to. And I mean, maybe maybe for people who who never saw the original cartoon and they saw this new He-Man cartoon on Cartoon Network and thought, wow, this is cool. All right, you get a pass because at that time you had nothing. I'm I'm only giving a pass to youngsters who watch the MIP. People who grew up on the or remember the filmation cartoon, grew up watching it. That's where I feel like, you know. I, I, but I guess it, it's you know what I take it back. I'm gonna stop right where I'm at. If you like, if you like that character better than Filmation, you have every right to. I'm not gonna be condescending and talk down to you because you you feel this. No, 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 no. This is not what this show's about. And yeah, there you go. Don't you be talking down to people, Tyler. Lord knows I've heard plenty of people trash the He-Man, you know, live-action movie, and I I just want to go to war over it for the reasons they say it. If I've it never trashed. Huh? I, I never trashed that crap. I mean, I never trashed that movie. Oh, of course not. You know, and I, I never trash, you know, this knockoff meteorbs. Uh, now that was pretty low. That was cold. No, uh, it's, it's like, you want to, you want to play with fire here, man? I mean, no, but I, fire I, Lord here. Like I said, I do like the movie. Like I said, as a kid, eh, now I appreciate it. So I guess before we wrap it up, how about with the four versions of the sorceress in different forms, we can rate them from best to least favorite. I guess I'll just let me start off because I'm sure we're going to have a different way we say this. My top sorceress is Filmation. The second one, I'm going to go with Goddess slash Sorceress from the mini comics. Third, MYP. And fourth, um, uh, Movie Sorceress. So that's, oh, uh, boy. Eh, I know you don't like that, but go ahead. Your best to worst. Uh, best would be Filmation. Uh, second would be the movie. Third would be the Goddess. And MYP would be dead last. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, there we go. Oh, we, we definitely did vary, and I figured we would. So, well, that, that was it. That was a good episode. So, but it just it just goes to show that Linda Garrett's portrayal as the sorceress, you know, in the cartoon was very memorable and and just extremely likable. I mean, even even if she's, you know, oh something's been released by the Horn of Evil, it's broken into Grayskull and taken her, and she's overpowered by some sort of you know mystic werewolf or some some sort of you know what whatever the case may be. Who would have thought that the person who protects Grayskull would become the damsel in distress, the most powerful person, honey, turning next to He-Man, you'd think good-wise. She's the damsel in distress. That don't make any sense. That's not no, right. No, but you know what? The character is so likable, and Linda Gary makes her likable, unlike Tila. You know, Evil Lynn is more likable, and she's a villain. Love um, Evil Lynn. Yep, you you got your issues with Teal. We'll, we'll have to like do a I don't know a Doctor Doctor Phil episode where we wonder what is your issue with Teal, and the fans will have to write in with the questions or something. Saying Tyler, we did get Doctor Phil to come on the show. Like, Tyler, what is your problem with <laughs> with Taylor, Captain of the Guard? Now, yeah, yeah you got some bad issues. So. Well, all right, man. Well, well, how about we wrap this up? So you go ahead. You uh, give your closing remarks and any of the episodes you want to recommend. You go on ahead. Well, let's see. Since we're doing, you know, sorcerer's discussion here, I'm going to go with a uh, Tila's quest, which, you know, for kids listening or, or anybody who's never seen the episode, it's it's probably the best sorcerer's episode. Even though she's not in it a whole lot, 
uh, there's a really good um, moment with her and Teal at the end of the episode. It's a good, good little one of the few good, genuinely good, well-written emotional moments of the series. And it's probably the best Tila episode too. I, I, I will say that uh, she's written um, very well, even though she is the damsel in distress by the end of the episode because we got to get He-Man into action here. It's a very probably the best time that Tila's ever been written from beginning to end. Okay. Um, and same thing with the sorceress there. So that's my um, uh, uh, recommendation for He-Man. And then for Thundercats. Um, Gosh, it's like, gosh, it's getting to where like I, I, I hate or thinking I'm going to like repeat myself or something like that. But uh, I'm going to go with um, Slaves of Castle Plundar from uh, season one, which is a uh, one of the first episodes after they've um, kind of established themselves on Third Earth. And they it's pretty much the Thundercats versus the three mutants as they uh, are uh, building their 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 evil headquarters, Castle Plundar there fighting the mutants to save the, the brute men from being slaves. It's a very simple story, but it's a fun kind of ABC story uh, to kind of get you acquainted with the, the core characters of the show. So it's like a good beginning episode. You know, if you don't want to watch Exodus or, or just a random episode, that'd be a good one to start with. Okay. Yeah. And I guess if, you know, well, fans that have to get them on DVD, otherwise you have to pay to see those on YouTube, correct? That, or you can purchase uh, the entire two seasons of Thundercats on iTunes episode each or, you know, in bulk, whatever you want to do or, uh, oh, okay. Um, yeah. Cause I bought several episodes of He-Man and, uh, I don't think He-Man's available on iTunes right now. They've, they've taken that show away that, that and she a couple of times. And as I think as of right now, it's not available to purchase, but Thundercats is. Oh, I didn't so, know that. Yeah. I didn't know either. Cause I, I, every now and then I'm like, you know what? I feel like buying that, being able to play that when I'm, when I'm going home or something like that. I'm like, great. They're not available right now, but Thundercats still is. So all right. A nice sample of it. You can do that. All right. Well, cool. Okay. Joe, Joe, Joe before you uh, wrap up, um, we had originally talked about the fact that you were going to have a special guest on this episode. Obviously, something has happened. So can you talk about that a little bit? Before well, you what's funny is when wrapping up, I was going to mention that. And I was <laughs> going to mention, I was, and I was also going to mention about us doing a new recording platform. I was kind of, but yeah, I will do that. Okay. And uh, well, guys, I was going to say, uh, we were going to have a special guest on today. Um, I still want to leave it as a surprise, but um, he couldn't make it this episode. There was like, I think there's some issues maybe with his internet connection, but uh, we're going to hopefully try to have him on for our next episode, which will be our big, that'll be our big episode. That's going to be episode 52. That's 52 straight weeks of, the, you know, podcasts. So one year and also our Halloween special. So hopefully he makes it for uh, next week. And uh, we're going to, in case you guys were wondering, we're trying a new, uh, I guess, a recording platform, if you will. We're going through Google Hangouts now. So hopefully this sounds a lot clearer than our, uh, you know, the other episodes have been sounding. And we apologize for that. But um, hopefully this will sound clear. And then we can try to give you links of how to do, you know, check us out through YouTube live when we start doing these. Like, you know, in the future episodes, you can hopefully catch us live and leave comments. So that'll be something new and fun. And especially we're doing through YouTube, maybe we'll flash up pictures of things we're talking about. So in case you're wondering, wait, what episode? And what are they talking about in the comic? We can maybe give you a little bit of examples. So that's to at least get that out the way. And uh, also, uh, well, as for places to go, be sure to always go to popculturenetwork.com, hemanworld.com, fansofpower.com. And for on Facebook, you can always go to Masters of the Universe. It's a He-Man and she Ultimate Fan Group. It's a group I created. Pretty fun. Nice place to just sit around and discuss stuff. 
And uh, yeah, and uh, want to give a shout out to uh, you know a couple listeners that were saying some stuff to me, and you know just saying hey and liking the show to Joshua Mead and Jeremy Dewitt. You know I always appreciate your guys' feedback and what you have to say. So you know always thanks for being you know dedicated listeners to the show too. I, I guess, uh, but but before uh, right before too, I, I want to uh, reiterate kind of along those lines. I just want to thank everybody who has listened to the show either from the beginning to as you're listening to this current one or you got started at some other point and you love listening to the show. You've shared your support or maybe maybe you don't even know who Joe and I are, you know, and and just listen to the show casually. But I, I want to thank everybody who listens to the show uh, weekly basis every other week or just every so often or whatever. You know, just appreciate it. And, and anybody who's – Everybody who's came to us and, and told us you enjoyed the show on Facebook or in messages or emails or whatever the case may be, it's much appreciated to, to hear the kind of support that people appreciate that we do this and that we enjoy doing it and that people enjoy listening to it. So everybody who listens to it, I really want to thank you greatly for, for appreciating our efforts. Very well said. I concur. And before you wrap, I just want to give a shout out to uh, – I'm, I'm guessing it's pronounced Dongi Forever. Maybe it's Dungi Forever uh, on YouTube, who is currently in the live chat watching the live stream. Uh, so just a shout out to, to him for being here. Oh, well, cool. thank you for being here. We want to thank him for that. Absolutely. And he can comment and anything he wants next time. Because, uh, uh, well, we're about ready to wrap it up now. But, yeah, thank you very much. So, uh, well, with that being said, let me just say, have a powerful day. Hey, kid. Welcome to the war. <laughs>